and we've been sharing some ideas. I collated some of those. I've used some of my personal experiences of being discipled myself and I've had the privilege of discipling other people. And today, the question that we're dealing with, how do you disciple seekers or non-Christians? Hello and welcome again to another episode in our uh, teaching series that we call A Band of Disciples. And as you know by now, this is a metaphor that we're using to say that Christians are like musicians. They actually engaged in life because they have a plan, a future, a vision of themselves that is driving and motivating their activities on a daily basis. And uh, as musicians, they don't just uh, you know, find themselves stuck in, in the music industry just because they've learned some notes or, or were forced to practice some music on a weekly basis. They see themselves as musicians and that actually uh, inspires their activities to do music and to learn when they stuff up and don't know what to do to be the type of musicians they want to be. And they invest the effort motivated by a greater uh, vision of themselves in the future. And that's exactly what we do as disciples. We help people discover that Christianity is not about knowledge. It's not about activities. It's not about modification of their behavior. It's about the personhood. They are a type of person that resembles the life of Jesus. We are building a certain kind of person, a Jesus-like human being who displays the image of God in their world. And as a result of that, we need to learn the skills that are required to be able to assist others in their pursuit of their Jesus-like uh, living. And uh, we've, uh, during this uh, uh, long series, we've looked at three main uh, segments or three main uh, little series, if you like, the discipling calling that helps us with our conviction that we are disciplers. We looked at the uh, discipling community to help give us clarity of how best we can disciple people. And finally, we've been exploring together some practical skills uh, that we can and practice in helping other people become more like Jesus. And um, we've been sharing with you some of the questions that we've received in some conferences. Our team members have brought them up and we together uh, as teams have been, uh, you know, um, exchanging ideas from our own experiences, each in their own groups and in uh, in, in relationship with one-on-ones. And, and we've been sharing some ideas. I collated some of those. I've used some some of my personal experiences of being discipled myself and I've had the privilege of discipling other people. And today, the question that we're dealing with, how do you disciple seekers or non-Christians? How do you disciple seekers or non-Christians? And that's a question that two of our uh, team members brought to our attention uh, a few months ago. They, uh, uh, they were new disciples, 
And they have been doing an unbelievable job with engaging with their uh, non-Christian uh, friends uh, from uh, their, their, their past you know, uh, life in their childhood and teenage years and young adulthood. And they, they, they were seeing a lot of uh, irreligious people, uh, non-Christians, uh, unchurched people want to engage with them on a spiritual level, which was so beautiful. We were celebrating them. Uh, you know, I remember one of the, the, the situation, uh, this particular discipler, she engaged with a uh, few uh, of her girlfriends who are non-Christians. And she said to them, uh, would you fast with me? Uh, for my upcoming birthday about several things that, that I would love God to do in my life. Mind you, those people are overtly non-religious. They've never fasted in their lives. And she shared with them uh, various uh, prayer points for every day. Obviously, she started with praying for her about her future. And within a day or two, they found themselves praying for a revival, uh, praying for people to open their hearts to God, uh, praying for a movement amongst young people to know Jesus and to love Him and live for Him. It's, it's crazy. I said to her, I've never seen people fasting for a move of God before they even come to know God. <laughs> it just was inspiring what she was doing. But they asked us that there were a couple of people, a couple that they were investing in, and they were meeting together on a weekly basis. And they wanted to know how they introduced them, how they discipled them into Christianity, like pre-Christian discipling, so to speak. And um, uh, we, we were negotiating together what our understandings and, and, and um, what would be normally done in a Christian environment to help people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Because that's usually, uh, that's where we say evangelism leads us to the signing on the dotted line where people accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then the process of discipling begins thereafter. That's been the uh, I guess the traditional conventional way of discipling people. And um, mostly we have three entries into Christianity. It's like a three evangelism approaches. I'm going to call them the spiel approach or the spiel entry, uh, the door uh, through a spiel, uh, the belonging entry, and then the desire entry. And I just briefly want to mention each of those because you probably are familiar, uh, observed some people utilizing one of those three approaches or many other approaches, but hopefully that opens the way for you to be able to uh, evaluate uh, the approaches that you've been um, you know, maybe utilizing or you've been exposed to so that we can arrive to maybe an understanding of what could possibly work in our postmodern world, in our environment that there are so many people who have no Christian background that requires maybe a different dynamic and a different approach to helping people embrace uh, the, 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 the life of Jesus. Uh, the first one that you probably are aware of is the spiel approach. You know how many times I've done this and maybe you have done it too, where as soon as we discover somebody that doesn't know Jesus, we try to manipulate the conversation so they can ask us a question. And within a moment, we want to tell them, you know, um, you know, the four laws of spiritual 
you know, a spiritual life. You know, God created you and he wanted to build a family. Uh, you know, we fell uh, from God and lived a life of independence. And guess what? Um, as a result of that, the consequence was eternal separation from God. We call that eternal death. And it ends up in a in a disaster. And, uh, and, and then, but the greatest news is that Jesus, who is fully God, and fully man came to planet earth, lived the perfect life, but he died a substitutionary death on your behalf and on my behalf so that if we receive him, whatever that means to a, a, you know, a, a seeker, if we receive him as Savior and Lord, uh, our sins are forgiven. We become justified, accepted, declared righteous before God. And hey, we have an eternal life. You never need to worry about guilt or, or suffering, you know, eternal consequences as a result of your weakness and your humanity and your, um, you know, trespassing uh, God's standards. And and we'll say at the end of it, what would stop you today from making a decision to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord? We, it's been ingrained in us. The spiel has been ingrained in us. In our uh, churches would finish the sermon and then they do the evangelism spiel. Uh, people sitting in, in public places, they want to figure out the, the quickest possible way to get people to say, you know, what would stop you today from making that decision for Jesus? Like, would you like fries with that? You know, we, we, we believe that if we provide a persuasive uh, argument, a rational argument, guess what? People within five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes or a, or a sicker sensitive environment that goes for an hour and a half, they're going to make their life defining decision. And I'm not putting that down. No doubt about it. Uh, growing through the different uh, you know, Christian eras, some people have been exposed to Christianity. And as a result of that, they, they, they know about God. Maybe they have been exposed to God's love. Maybe God has been knocking on their, on their hearts for so many years that all they need is that nudge. Uh, is that little bit of, uh, of, you know, what would stop you from making that decision today? Uh, maybe, yeah, it requires that prayer and change of mindset. For sure, some people, that might work for them. But by and large, the reality is people have not been exposed in our environments to a Christian upbringing. You know, uh, whatever Western environment you're part of, in our Western environment, uh, they say that it's only 7% of the population attends a church, um, you know, on, on a regular basis. We are not, we're a secular environment. There has been a drop over the last two, um, you, you know, census of 30% of people who are, who are you know, uh, would affiliate with the Christian tradition who now say they have no God. So we're in a secular environment. And uh, uh, just providing a rational way of, of, you know, of persuasion is not really where people are at. Then there is people that have come along and says, you know what? It's not about rational. It's about belonging. We need to embrace people who are um, seeking to know more about God. We need to show them, uh, you know, that we're a family. We need to, 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 you know, introduce them to our group and have dinner parties and and go and uh, and help them, you know, with uh, backyard blitz and and take them into adventure, philanthropic adventure in the community and show them how caring and kind and 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 activist we are in our community. That we're a good thing. 
luck. It were not just some ideas and assertions and beliefs, but we're a good family where they want to belong. And indeed, there are many people who made decisions to follow Jesus as a result of, of being exposed to, uh, to, to the dynamic of love within a fellowship, within a small group, within a family. They see um, you know, that, that, that they're desperate to be part of that environment and they, uh, they eventually commit to living with Jesus. And that's where the phrase that has been uh, well quoted many a times, uh, you know, people belong before they believe they belong before they believe. And I, 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 I don't doubt that some people are in that boat. My uh, current inclination is to think that we need the desire spiel. And why, what do I mean by that? People need to change their desire of who they are becoming before they adopt any of that stuff that we share, the rational, uh, rational perspective of Christianity or the belonging to a, a group of Christians. They need to see themselves differently, desire a different alternative person that they become and then say, okay, how, how do I become that type of person? And indeed, uh, each single one of us, friends, every single one of us is motivated by a desire to be something. Many of us don't know what is the desire, what's the image, what's the vision, what's the painting, what's the portrait that we have mentally of ourselves, that we imagine ourselves to, be, to, to become, which fuels our endeavor. You see, uh, all of us have a, a vision, an image that is leading us to live a particular way, to make particular decisions, uh, to engage with some activities and ignore others, um, you know, to be around a particular group of people and ignore other groups of people. We all are traveling towards a particular image of a future. We would call that the good life. You see, each one of us has an image in mind of what the good life looks like. And maybe you've even heard of, of some athletes who visualize, um, you know, on, in their bedrooms and all of that, uh, you know, medals of Olympic uh, champions, and they see themselves in their own mind of a particular type of winner, an athletic winner that drives them and motivates them to to do the hard yards on moment-by-moment moment basis, uh, day by day. So we have a vision. That vision is usually an emotional portrait of what we think will be the best life. So somebody might say, my best life if I, I you know, they see other people who are entrepreneurs and, and they're successful in business and say, hey, that's, that's what I'd love to be. That's when I'm going to be my, my, the happiest self. Other people are engaging with, um, uh, you know, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, sporting environments and say, if I win that premiership, if I be that best athlete, if I get that medal, uh, if I be known and famous in the sporting uh, arena, uh, that's, that's all I want. That would be the best experience of my life. That's what I want to be. Others, you know, they may have been in an environment of, of knowledgeability and academic uh, uh, endeavors and they see their best life. They've seen somebody 
that 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 uh, you know they admired who had had this capacity, academic capacity and expertise, and that's the subtle vision of who they want to become. See, all of us derive our vision of what we want to become from various things. First of all, the group that we're part of, the group that we're part of, the family that we're part of really influences the way we, we, we see ourselves. We see an, a, a lifestyle that we either admire or uh, or, or reject. Um, it, we, we, we get um, you know, a corporate persona uh, from the type of people that we're around. If we're around a particular tradition, if we are around a particular uh, uh, friendship group, like I, I, I'm aware of a particular uh, friendship group that some uh, extended uh, friends that we know, they, they said, we, want, we don't want to be around this group anymore. And, and when we ask why, why they're finding it difficult to be around this group when they don't really have conflict, they get along really well together. And they said, it's really tiring. All they talk about or even subtly allude to is who's going to have that next bigger car? Who's going to have a better house? Who's going to have more money? Because they were all actually somehow, they were all connected, even though they grew up together um, uh, in a particular uh, tradition. But, but they, they, they were all like entrepreneurs, so to speak. You know, they were all in the business industry, but it was, it was getting annoying. It was getting tiring. Uh, someone felt that this is no longer the image that I subscribe to. I don't see myself the happiest if I become that type of person. But that that, that particular um, you know, conclusion comes after a bit of digging because we notice that uh, uh, eventually, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know we, we, we're living life automatically towards that vision. And, um, and, and, and sometimes we don't know why we're acting in this particular way. Why do we feel this particular uh, way? Why are we putting so much energy and time in this particular activity or this particular investment or this particular uh, studies or this particular relationship? The reality is we're automatically driven by something on the inside of us that telling us this is the best life. So the group, the dynamic of the group, the persona of the group, maybe different people in the group that we take edits of their lives and we want to be like that composite person or maybe one person that influence our vision we love them we admire them we esteem them and something on the inside of us want to be like that um, so, so that is the dynamic of the group like we've mentioned about the community of practice previously uh, but there's also a nature you know not many people not many human beings are just want to fly you know in the cloud it's not their nature a pig loves to muck around in the mud but that, not the sheep and so on so our nature has something to do with it we have inclination that's why in Galatians chapter 5 and verse I think 17 and 18 it speaks of the spirit desire things against the flesh and the flesh desires things against the, uh, the, the spirit there is inclination towards a particular way of life that's our potentiality that's that's the stuff on the inside our material that 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 you know have capabilities to become something and we're looking to be that possibility in the future but it's driving our current emphasis and our current decisions and our current focus and our current activity at the moment. And we realize in order to be that, that we're projecting, the, the vision that we're projecting, the, the best person that we want to be, 
uh, we need to und, un, unfold that over time. It's gonna, you know, we, we, if we want to be, you know, an engineer or want to be a lawyer or whatever, it, it requires us to to go through the hard yards of studies, of 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 placement, of maybe an internship and and further learning across our lifetime and practice and so on. So there is an unfolding of, of the image that we have. And as Christians, we have two possible ways or two possible images that are guiding us. Possible ways of being in the world. We'll be like ourselves or we'll be like Jesus. And that is a desire that's embraced from the inside. It's, a, it's not rational as such, but once that that desire connects with us because we see that's a better lifestyle. That's, that's, yeah, I love to be like that. And it's not necessarily that we put it in A, B, C, D. Guess what? When that image, that desire, um, you know, in, in a book called Desiring the Kingdom, the author has done a huge amount of research that we are creatures of desire, that we are, that we are prompted, that we are motivated by an image of the future. And that obviously was meant to be the image of the kingdom of God, of us reflecting the image of God, but because of sin that marred our, uh, our um, nature, that we can Place other things that we worship uh, in, in that vision of our future. So there's two ways of living lives. It's emotionally driven. So here is the trick. If you are emotionally driven to be a successful entrepreneur, there is no four statements of logic that can transform your desire and makes you want to be like Jesus just in a span of half an hour. It's not a conviction thing. Something about your emotional desires need to esteem, uh, to esteem the person of Jesus and, and, and to desire to be like Him. And that would come later on as rational thought and you need to learn theological um, you know, uh, knowledge and, 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 and the truth about God and, and, and the truth about salvation. And you need to put human effort alongside you know, God's divine assistance in order to live that out. But it starts with an image, an imprint of who you want to be. And that image, that emotional image cannot be manipulated by uh, bland, rational, dry information. Yeah. So we need to be aware that the image of being like God, according to God's image, it's already imprinted on the inside of every individual. And we need to trigger that. And how does that trigger? Is by being around people that live that lifestyle love one another the way God loves us, live with integrity the way God has empowered us, live with care and selflessness, live with wisdom and, 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 and authenticity. When they see that in action, say, uh, that resembles something on the inside of me. It's calling me to be that type of person. There has got to be a grasp of, of that vision that's already been imprinted. Though mad, it's not lost. The image is not fully lost, but it's mad, absolutely. But God, you know, by His Spirit, He can, he can provoke, He can inspire, He can allure people into that, that desire 
for, for being. You see, what I want to say is Jesus never gave his, his, uh, his disciples several lectures about theology before they became his disciples. He said, come and follow. And indeed, he was incorporating them in a community, but, it, but they didn't become uh, disciples just because they were excited about the, the connections, the relational connections. They became disciples because they esteemed Jesus so much. That was the discipleship paradigm of their, uh, of their era, that you liked the rabbi and wanted to be like the rabbi. It changed your perspective of who you're becoming. And that perspective influences everything that you do. The people that you want to hang around, as well as the theological and practices uh, uh, that you um, involve yourself, engage with. Yeah. So we need to be aware that people need to see us a different version of themselves. And that version of themselves that is modeled and mirrored in the life of God's people that's what makes the difference, right? That's why throughout the scripture, we are told that salvation is not just a transaction of theological beliefs. It's far bigger than that. I want to show you a scripture uh, from uh, the, the apostle Peter where he speaks about, uh, you know, our redemption or our salvation. And he says this in 1 Peter 1.18. He says, for you know, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Uh, we see here in 1 Peter 1 uh, that, that he's telling people that the redemption, their salvation was not just uh, an exchange of beliefs and assertions, which is part of it. But bigger than that, it's a redemption from a way of life that is being handed from one generation to the next. You are not seeing yourself as that type of person anymore. You have been restored from that perception and you're seeking a different way of life, a different perception of yourself. Look at what he says in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. He instructs the believers, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Listen at what Peter is instructing. Instructing his, the, 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 the church to live such a beautiful life in gentleness, in respect, in reverence to God. Why? Because when people see the alternative lifestyle, they're going to be asking them. And that's why Peter's saying, be prepared to give an answer to anyone or everyone who asks you. You know, when people see a different lifestyle, then they want to learn what's making you be that type of person. And then you live with clear conscience, which excites people about your integrity. And even if they verbally accuse you or be malicious about you, in the heart of hearts, they know, uh, you know what, uh, th these people are the real deal. And that lifestyle implicates people. And Jesus knew that. 
Jesus knew that in the Sermon on the Mount where He says to His disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, He says, you are the light of the world. And He concludes it by saying that, you know, that in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That means let people see the reality of who you are. The reality of you exhibiting the light of Christ who is the light of the world. Allow Him to be revealed through you. And when people see that lifestyle, the alternative lifestyle, say, wow, they glorify your Father in heaven. So here is very briefly uh, a summary of what we can do to help people uh, be implicated to achieve a desire uh, to be these Christians uh, through their interactions with us. Number one, let your light, uh, life illustrate the light of Christ. Let your life show a new way of doing life. Let your life exhibit what it's mean to live this alternative lifestyle with love to others, with wisdom, with intimacy with God, with influence in the world. You know, people want to see what it means to be a little Jesus, not just read some theological, theoretical um, description of what it means. They want to see it in real life. Secondly, help them figure out the assumptions that leading them to think that this is the best life, that if they continue that type of path, this is going to be the best life for them. So help them differentiate the two possible lifestyles as they ask you, you can, you can help them reflect on their own assumptions rather than just telling them, just help and say, sir, you know, why do you want to finish this course? You know, they say, oh, I'm, all I care about is finishing this. That's great. And what's going to happen after that? You know, I want to get this particular job. And yeah, that's exciting. So, so why do you want to get this particular job? And how people, when they give you permission to discover the deep assumptions the emotional image that driving everything that they are doing. And finally, when they ask you, so what, what, what are you living for? What is the things that egg you on? What are some of the passions and why? And then you can begin to answer the secret of the hope because Christ in you, your unity with Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what impacting you because there is a hopeful image of, of what you will become throughout life but into the future when Christ returns and transforms our bodies into the glorious image of Himself that we are not bluffing a particular image. We know it's going to happen. It's a sure hope, not a hope so. We're going to be like Jesus and that can motivate and inspire our activity today. And as people mingle with us and see uh, that the life of Jesus is worth living for, they will make decisions slowly and gradually. And you know what? There may be a time where you actually share those four laws or, uh, or, that, or this story of salvation. There may be times where you need to incorporate them in the family of God. But just be aware that people don't just make decisions that are rational. They make decisions that are so inspiring because of a vision that is emotionally motivated of the person that they can become because that's God's imprint over their life. 
Thank you so much for your investment in people in their life, whether they, they are pre-Christians or Christians that you're developing them. Our prayer and our love and, and, and our total admiration for what God is doing in your life. Uh, we thank you for being with us and look forward to being with you in our next session. Until then, be utterly blessed in Jesus.